Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth and Sean Sports Radio on Blog Talk Radio and Back Sports. We are, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties with the volume of the music, but here we are. Seth Kamen, Sean Palmer, Blog Talk Radio, Seth and Sean Sports Radio. Special time. Special time today because of it's Jake's birthday. Yes, our favorite, our favorite fan, Jake Kamen's is celebrating his birthday today. So we needed to do this a little bit earlier than we normally do. And so, and then I go off to Cheerio, London, across the pond to Mr. and, well, soon to be Mr. and Mrs. James Tonks's wedding in Surrey, London. So if you have been to London, Surrey is about, I don't know, 20, 30 miles west, southwest of London. So I'm going to learn a new mass transit. Um, I know the tube, but now I'm going to have to take a train in London. But you know what? Better to learn than to not learn. And you did not listen in for my travel schedule. What you did listen in to was what we were going to talk about this week. So in our new special segment, what rule would you change if you were the commissioner? Today is the NBA. What would you change, ladies and gentlemen? Feel free to call in at 760-283-0846, 760-283-0846. If you were the commissioner of the NBA, if you were Adam Silver, what would you change? What would be something that would make the, the sport more entertaining for you? Would it be the one-and-done rule, which is going to go away in a couple of years? So I'm not sure if that's really a cop-out. Would you have a four-point basket? Would you outlaw the dunk? which was done in the 1970s. Would you get rid of the three-pointer? Would you bring in or expand the three-pointer? What would you do? So give us a call at 760-283-0846, and Seth Kamins will be along shortly. We will be talking boxing. Yes, I know. Boxing, boxing, boxing. And every year we have one or two shows that, that say why boxing is really at its end, at its it's done. It has no relevance anymore. But when you have boxers that undergo brain surgery right after the match, right after the fight, right after the bout, you kind of have to worry about the not only the relevance of the sport, but the humanity of the sport. Now, I know boxing has been around forever, and we've probably did – these things probably did happen in the past, but we didn't get to see them. 
the social media wasn't what it was. You didn't have every single fight on national television, HBO, Showtime, etc. And now you're just seeing the chaos that is boxing. And next week, actually with that in mind, next week, our special segment of what would you do to change the sport will focus on boxing. And I'm very interested to hear Mr. Kamen's ideas as to what he would do to change boxing, to make boxing more popular, to figure out how to save what was a very entertaining sport in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, and so on until about the 1980s. And now it is relegated to almost nothingness. Also on the agenda for today, Tyreek Hill. And you ask me, well, why are we talking about a guy that didn't get suspended? Well, that's pretty much the point, right? So a couple of years ago, we have Ezekiel Elliott suspended for six games. What was he suspended for? Eh, innuendo. Rumor. Accusations. Then today we have, uh, yesterday we have Jaron Reed, or Jaron Reed of the Seattle Seahawks. Again, innuendo, no charges, certainly no convictions. Today there was a report that he would have been brought up. The police recommended fourth-degree assault charges. But they didn't have enough evidence, so they didn't prosecute. And he's been suspended six games. And Tyreek Tyreek Hill, who we've all heard the audio, We've all heard that you should be afraid of me too, paraphrasing what he said to his, to his son's mother. You heard all this. His baby mama. So, Seth, I know you, you're just joining. Welcome to the show. Um, this week, we are going to talk about the one change you would make in the NBA to make the, the game better. We'll, we'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. And next week, we're going to talk, and this is a great segue into what we're going to discuss, is what would you do to save boxing? What is the one rule that you would change about boxing to make it better? And now that you're back, uh, we can talk about the the barbarism that happened on Saturday night. And I'm not sure, as I told the listeners while you're away, I'm not really sure that this is any different than it's been in the last 50 years. But we're seeing more and more of it. And maybe that's because of social media or, or that every fight is on some network at this point. But it seems like it's happening more and more. Well, first of all, welcome everybody to the show. Sorry, I was running up a late. Um, and number two, we're not talking about the Pacquiao fight. Just so no. for people are a little confused why boxing is being brought up or not. Pacquiao's brilliant performance on Saturday night. That's not what we're discussing. Um, one of the prelim fights, or one of the fights on another card, it was another uh, person with, you know, that had a brain bleed after the fight. And a uh, Russian guy, I believe. I, I don't remember his name. And I, I think you're missing the most obvious. I think the athletes are simply just more powerful and stronger and hit harder than they did 10 years, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. With all the nutritional and strength you know, advantages that have come about, um, I, I, I think that's the main reason. Because boxing, yeah, boxing is not, you know, it's still a bunch of 
there are a lot more fights that are on TV, but that's not, I don't think it has anything to do with it. And so it, I don't think it was that big on social media, to be perfectly honest. I mean, boxing was dominated by the Pacquiao Thurman fight. Well, I don't think I was I was stating that it was bigger on social media. My point would be that we are more aware of things that happen, and that these these brain bleeds or punch punch drunk or whatever you want to call it have been happening for decades. We just haven't been aware because we're not as in tune to every single fight that we are today. Every fight that comes on, you can get video of. You may not have been able to do that 15 years ago. In fact, I know you weren't able to do that 15 years ago. So I think, but I, I agree. do agree with your strength and conditioning. More, maybe it just also happened in bigger platform fights. Where, okay, you need to come you know, closer. To, you need to come closer to the. You need to come closer to the speaker. Seth, you need to come closer to the speaker. Because I couldn't hear a word. Okay. I, I, it, let's just keep moving on with it. Um, I mean, probably what I just said was that, you know, the car, the, even if the even if the cards, people aren't watching as much, the cards, you still have cards in HBO and Showtime and Fox and, um, and CBS to a lesser degree. And even if the fight was not on any of those cards, when someone has that kind of injury, Typically, it will be brought up in conversation. Um, it will be brought up on the broadcast. I would agree. I would agree with that. So, so, so we'll save that for next week and how, if it's even possible to make a rule, or if you're the commissioner of boxing, how you save the sport, or you make the sport more entertaining. And we'll talk about the NBA at the begin at the end of this hour, uh, at the bottom of bottom of the hour, top of the hour, because the point is this is the first week in, I don't know, a month, a month and a half that we haven't had a big trade to talk about in the NBA. <laughs> but I, I did go through an exercise the other day. So what I've been hearing throughout all the media is that this is the greatest era of duos, of dynamic duos, your Batmans, your Robins, your LeBron James, your, your Anthony Davis, your Russell Westbrook, your James Harden, so on and so forth. Right, And I thought about it, and I was like, all right, well, when we talk about dynamic duos, we generally, the first thing I think about when it comes to the NBA is NBA Jam. And for those that are too young to remember what NBA Jam was, and I'm hoping that there are a couple of listeners that are too young to remember, NBA Jam was a game that was brought out in the 1990s, which had two players from every team. Uh, and then you had the option of a third or a fourth on some teams, and you played two-on-two NBA back and forth full court on both big video games and on Sega Genesis and um, Nintendo and whatnot. And conspicuously absent from this game was Michael Jordan because they never secured the rights to Michael Jordan's likeness in order to put him on NBA Jam. But every, every other Every other team had their superstars. You had David Robinson and Sean Elliott. I'm trying to remember my favorite guys. You had Charles Oakley, John Starks, and hold on, John Starks and Patrick Ewing. 
And actually, one of my favorite teams to play was your New Jersey Nets because I loved playing with Kenny Anderson and Drazen Petrovic. And Drazen may have been my favorite player at the time in the NBA. That was not a Nick because I loved his shooting stroke. I have, he was awesome. If, if you're, yeah, if you look at today's NBA and you're playing NBA Jam, so you're, pick, you're picking two guys that you would play, and please tell me how you played that game, whether you were a, a dunker or a three-point shooter or whatnot. What combo would you pick and why? If I had one team to play with, um, I, was, yeah. I was a shooter. So um, the team is actually relatively easy for me. It'd be Golden State. Because, I mean, think about it. Curry hits these ridiculous – hits the 40-foot jump shots anyway. What do you think he would be like in – this kind of game. I'd go Curry and Thompson. They would never miss. That would be an awesome combination. Whether they could whether they could play defense would be a different story. So the one thing that that this game, ladies and gentlemen, that haven't played is you had the computer assist, right? So there was very rarely a game that wasn't close at the end. And the reason is, is like any other computer game, you have artificial intelligence. It brings the score back to closeness so you can have something at the end, unless you were playing somebody else. And so defense at at the beginning of the game was certainly not the same as defense at the end of the game. So I think that the one thing about Thompson and Curry that would be interesting is whether defense would come into play at all, because neither one of those guys could guard most of the guys, their defensive rating would probably be low on both of them. Certainly on Curry, maybe not Thompson. Thompson, Thompson was sensational. Thompson's a great defender. So, I agree, but he's I'm not but remember sure he's got. Well, remember also he's got. If if you have a Curry and Thompson combo, you're guarding Anthony Davis and LeBron James. James, and guarding a big man will be problematic. Yeah, guarding a guarding a big man would be tough. I understand. So, and your third would be Draymond Green, which would I actually would, I would probably play if I had to think about it. I would probably play Draymond, and either Curry or Thompson. I probably wouldn't play Curry and Thompson together, because I'd want the defense of of, of Draymond in there. But it, it's it's fascinating to go through all the teams. So. For instance, back then, ladies and gentlemen, one of the teams had the Bucks had Brad Lowhouse. I mean, when you when you think of NBA stars in the 1980s, Brad Lowhouse was not in that in that category. And what was interesting to me was that if you look at the lower ranked teams right now, back then, I'm going to read you. This is from Deadspin. Some of the lower-ranked teams were the Bucks with Brad Lowhouse and Blue Edwards. The Bullets with Gugliotta and Harvey Grant. The Timberwolves with Leitner and Chuck Person, who I actually liked playing with because Person could shoot from anywhere. And then you had the Mavericks with Derek Harper and the infamous Mike Azuli, Isolino, who was Mike the greatest Isolino? ball ever. Really? Yeah, Mike was, 
right? Mike Ozzolino. And then you have the Kings with Wayman Tisdale and Spud Webb. And you have the 76ers. So the 76ers had Hersey Hawkins and Jeff Hornacek. I mean, these are just the, – the Magic had Shaquille O'Neal and the Scott Skiles. I'm, did you play with the, with the Trailblazers, with, with Drexler and Porter? Drexler and Porter. Was that your team? Sure. That was your team? So my team was definitely the Nets with – my team was definitely the Nets with Coleman, Petrovich, and I remember the third one was Chris Morris. And I definitely played with them. So I don't believe if you go through the NBA rosters right now, you're going to come up with a twosome as poor as Brad Lowhouse and Blue Edwards. I just – I agree, having looked at this, that the – that the Batman and Robin combinations today are better than any time since Bill Russell, where there were only eight teams. Yeah. I'll be honest, this is a pretty good team. Okay, I can't hear you. He Lewis and Mikhail. And, you know, I'm looking to uh, the Kings waving to the old spread. Seth, you are, Seth, you're incredibly muffled, and there's not one word that's making sense. Hold on. Let me see if I can do it this way. That's better, where you just were. Can you hear? Can you hear me better now? Yes, a hundred percent. Fine, off wall site. Um, uh, okay, so what I was saying was looking at some of these teams and some of the players that made me Benoit Benjamin. I mean, Harvey Harvey Grant, not Harris, Harvey Grant, and as you said, that Derek right. Harper Mike is a Leno team. That's amazing. That is simply amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And these the teams, I'm, I mean, even if you look at Sacramento today, it would be Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley or, or DeAndre Fox and no, Marvin yeah. Bagley. Or DeAndre Fox and Buddy Heald, who shot, who would be great in a, in a right. BA Jam three-point. There are very few teams that are better – with these teams, with these players, uh, than would be than they are now. Now, I mean, Utah with Stockton Malone would probably be better, but let's be honest: the uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert would give them a decent run. I mean, not as all-time players, but just on NBA Jam. You know, you can go through the teams and compare, but a lot of these teams, like Nuggets with Matumbo and Lafonso Ellis, no one's really going to shoot a three-pointer. See, remember when this came when this came out? And I, I don't even remember when this came out. Probably ninety four, ninety five. I mean, the three pointer just wasn't as prevalent. So you could have teams of Ewing and Oakley, or of uh, you know, or I'm just kind of looking quickly through Sean Kemp and Benjamin, you know. 
in this generation that would never work because it's all going to be it's all going to be the three point team. So, so who would you? So you asked me who I would go with. Who would you go with as your so right now as, you, as your current team? Right. So, so right now, I, I was very much like you. I was a shooter. I would have somebody else drive the lane, kick out, and let me play, right? Because that let me shoot from the corner or let me shoot from the side. And with that in mind, there, there are a couple of teams that come to mind. I really like Donich and Porzingis because both of them can shoot inside or outside. So mm-hmm. I like them as, as one of them. And the other one, and you'll probably find, I, I really, I wouldn't even play Donovan Mitchell. i play Mike Conley. Mike Conley and Gobert yeah. seem to be the best for me because Conley's a much better shooter than Mitchell, and Gobert is just going to block everything. And I would love to have those two guys playing. I think I'd probably play the Jazz yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I would probably play the Jazz. And surprisingly, one of the weaker teams to me, individually, these two guys would be great. But I would not play LeBron and Anthony Davis ever. Because I think that that does it's, – it's a good combination for the game. It's just not a good combination for the way I play. Because I'm always sitting at the corner waiting for, for the kickout. And neither one of those guys has would have the shooting rating that a Conley or or a Donich or even a Porzingis or to your point a Thompson or a Curry would have. And look, ladies and gentlemen, if you have never played NBA Jam, go find it. <laughs> you, you will play it for days. It is a tremendous game. I only wish that they made an updated version today, but I think it would probably cost too much. Um. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, let, let's, let's bring out our question of the day. You are Adam Silver. You are the commissioner of basketball. You have been the commissioner for a couple of years. You've gotten rid of, you've basically gotten rid of Donald Sterling. You've had labor peace for a little bit, for, for quite a while, actually, not even a little bit. You are as high-tech a league as there is. You are probably the most respected commissioner in the game, in any game right now. And you can make any one change to make the sport better. What would you make? Actually, why don't you go first on this one? Okay. I'd like to hear what you have to say first. Okay. Okay. What I would make, and, and granted, it's, it's unilateral, so, that, so there's nothing in the, in, the play, in, the, um, in the handbook. If you sign an extension with a team, you cannot be traded for two years. That's what I would put. Because I am sick and tired of Paul George. I, I completely understand the Brad, so this week Bradley Beal, uh, the Wizards said, we're going to offer Bradley Beal a one-year, a two-year, or a three-year extension. If he doesn't take any of them, he's still got two more years left, and we're not going to trade him. Great. 
But to me, if you're signing a four-year contract, I think it goes both ways. The team can't trade you, and you can't be traded for up to two, for if you sign an extension with the team. Show some love for the fans. The fans are the ones that are that are happy that their players signed extensions. I don't want to see Paul George again. I'm I'm getting really sick of this. I'm getting really sick of of these contracts. And maybe this is the legal mind in me. These contracts not meaning anything. There's no brand. There's no team loyalty from the players, and I can understand that because they see it the other way too. Is that there's no brand loyalty, team loyalty from the team. So make it both ways. You cannot trade a player. You may not see extensions. I get that. But if you do, two years. Must play for two years on that team. That is not where you thought I was going, was it? Uh, I'm not surprised. We actually talked. I mean, you seemed pretty angry when we talked about this a couple weeks ago or last week or two weeks ago. Um, so I, I'm not surprised this is exactly where you want to go. I um, mean, here's the thing, Seth. Actually, here's the thing. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, when I was 15 years old, I was a big, I was a big Lenny Dykstra fan. Um, I looked mm-hmm. like him. I, I I played the game like him. Like it, it's a guy that I modeled my baseball life around, maybe not my personal life, thankfully, but certainly my baseball life around. And unfortunately, when I was looking for a jersey, my first major league authentic jersey was a Philadelphia Philly jersey because my favorite two players were on the Philadelphia Phillies, Lenny Dystra and Greg Jeffries at the time, both ex-Mets. And the unfortunate part is the only reason that my jersey became a Lenny Dykstra jersey is because he signed a big enough contract that I knew he would never get traded. So if I'm going to invest $140, $150 of a 16-year-old's money, which is basically all your work money for three weeks in the summer, you want to make sure that that jersey, the person stays and you, doesn't, you don't lose. And he signed, I believe it was a, a six-year, $30 million contract, so $5 million a year at the time, right after the uh, – it was right after the World Series in 93. And that's the reason why I kept him. That's the reason I bought the jersey. If he had gotten traded the next year, I would have been so pissed off and I think that's part of what I have a problem with, is that the fans lose. More than anybody else, the fans lose. And I don't ever want to see fan. I, I don't like seeing fans lose. I'm a fan myself. This turnover that you see consistently is nauseating to me. And, yes, I was pissed off at Paul George because Paul George said one thing last year and all of a sudden went just the other way, did a 180. And I don't believe that the team should be able to do that either. Okay, you're up. 
this came to me more from came to me more from a college standpoint than a pro standpoint, but it, it still holds. Um, I'm, as much as I enjoyed watching basketball, what drives me insane is when the last two minutes take 15 minutes. And we see this all the time, and it just be, every play gets reviewed and then reviewed and then reviewed. Very simple. Every review should be either it should be decided within 45 seconds. You look at it, you have someone who's watching upstairs. You take, you look at it twice on the screen, and then you're done. If you can't make the decision, then you hold it as it is. It would make the game quicker. I mean, I, I'm a little bit less profound than where you went with it. But I was watching a Tennessee-Auburn game during busy season last year. Um, I remember as I was waiting for the Maryland game to, to come on right afterwards. It was, I think, like 1.55. It was a minute to go. It took 14 minutes to play the last minute. And it was, it was four or five reviews that each took three, four, five, two, three, four minutes. And these reviews, if you have someone watching, you make a call, you, make a, you have 45 seconds to review it. If you don't, it's very simple. If there's nothing conclusive that changes it, we keep it as it, as, we, as, it, as it was called originally and we move on. I cannot stand, or the, the thing that drove me away from baseball was a length of game. And the NBA is getting worse and worse on this because, because they, the refs, you know, 10 years ago didn't have the opportunity to do this and replay, now can, now can, base, can bank on it. And that's not what they're there for. It's there as a supplement, not to make, the, not to make every decision for you. So make the call. You know, take a quick and dirty look, and then make a decision. Let's move on. Very simple. Well, while we were talking about a little bit of baseball, that's that's great. I like that. I really do. You put a clock on it. Look, you're putting a clock in baseball on everything, right? So why not put a clock on this? And I think the same in the NFL. I think the job than most in doing this is that it's 90 seconds, but it takes them like 20 seconds to walk over to the booth. So you got, what, a minute. And there's not as many stops in football as there actually are in basketball. Basketball, everything could be a stop, right? A stop at your play. So I, I fully concur. I think that, that it's getting a little bit getting a little bit ridiculous with the amount of that. So I know Seth was not here for our baseball preview. Uh, I remember doing the hour show alone. On my, in, I believe it was in my first week here in Atlanta. And I was driving, so it was an interesting, it was an interesting show. But the fact is, we're here at the mid a little bit more than the mid-season point. Trading deadline is next week, so we'll, ha- we'll have a little bit of a preview for a trading deadline next week where the Yankees may go, where the Mets hopefully will sell off a couple of pieces and so on and so forth. But we had the Hall of Fame announcement this past week. We'll get into that in a second. But it's time for our most valuable and least valuable players. And where we see... At the halfway point, Major League Baseball, say, in September or October, where, who we see coming forth from the fray. So 
Seth, I will leave this up to you for your MVP of the American League first, and then we will uh, we'll go on to the National League after following suit. I think the American League is pretty, is pretty easy. Um, it's Mike Trout. I'm not sure there's anyone even else in the discussion. Um, he is, he's the best player in baseball. He has been the best player in baseball for just about every year of the last 10 years. Uh, his, he, you know, even his speed does is not what it was at one point. I don't think there's even a dis- I'm not even sure there's a discussion. He may be a unanimous vote at this point. Um, you know, I honestly don't know who else you would, you would uh, bring in. Well, I I loved how some guy at the uh, some some Twitter player I don't remember, some Twitter follower said so Mike Trout is at six point three on the WAR scale, uh, which is wins above replacement, and next highest is Mike Miner at six point one. Mike Miner is a pitcher, so I don't believe that he'll probably follow through with the same amount of WAR. But the next. The next player for war that is an offensive player is Matt Chapman at 5.1. So a full win, a 1.2 wins behind Mike Trout. And what this guy was saying was, okay, so Matt Chapman's at 1.2 behind him, and below that is Alex Bregman at 1.6. Let's see what kind of excuse somebody gives for not giving Mike Trout the MVP this year because every other year there's always been Hey, the triple crown. Hey, it's the this. Hey, it's the that. Mike Trout is by far the best player in the league. He's the best player in the major leagues. His offensive war is six. His defensive war is .4. Defensive war is a skeptical notion. Offensive war is exactly what it is. Six. Six. By the way, Matt Chapman, 3.9. Alex Bregman, 4.2. They're getting most of their – they're getting a lot of their uh, stats from the defensive side, which is the subjective stat. There is no question it's Mike Trout. And if you go to the National League, you have a, you have a, a, a fight. You have Cody Bellinger, who has had a, a season for the ages, and then you have Christian Yelich, who's also had a season for the ages. So Bellinger who in his last seven days has batted 133, which has brought him down to, I don't know, I guess okayness. His OPS is 1.124. Seriously? 1.124. He has 34 home runs already and 77 RBIs. And here's the thing about, here's the thing that I love about Bellinger is that he actually has Two less walks than he does strikeouts. He's walked 63 times, and he struck out 65 times. And it's similar with Yelich. Yelich has 35 home runs, one more home run. And he has 58 walks and 77 strikeouts. The difference is that the Dodgers earn first place, and the Brewers are not. So for now, I will take Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I would probably go with Yelich, but it's it's it is six of one, half dozen of another. It seems to be, and 
I mean, I think the reason I would go with Belichick is Bell, that team without Bellinger is still winning the is probably still winning the division. Um, it's they're what are they ten up, twelve up, something like that. They're fifteen and a half up. I just looked it up. Milwaukee without Bellinger is in last place in the division. They're two games out of out of first behind Chicago. It's a yeah, it's a pretty close race. Um, that without without Yelich, that team is going nowhere. Without Bellinger, that team is still winning the division by four or five points. The stats are so close that to me, you know, it's the most valuable player to your team. And when you have that much talent that the Dodgers do, where you are literally playing 660 ball, and Milwaukee, you know, overachieved last year when Yelich won and was playing around 530, 540 and scrapping for every win, and it's just been tougher for them this year. Um, that's the reason the, the stats between the two are so it's negligible, I think. By the way, will this be like the 20th straight year that Nolan Arenado gets in the top five and doesn't win? I think he's in the top five every well, year yeah. for the MVP and has never come close to winning. Well, because the problem with Nolan Arenado is the same problem that Larry Walker has with the Hall of Fame and Todd Helton has with the Hall of Fame. He's got the Colorado factor. And ladies and gentlemen, by the way, my pick for MVP at the beginning of the year was Juan Soto. Uh, Juan Soto has 17 home runs and 62 RBIs, batting 293. So I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm tremendously off, but it wasn't exactly what I thought. Uh, the Cy Young in, the, in both leagues to me is a no-brainer. In the American League, it's Garrett Cole, who has 11 wins, but more importantly, has over 200 strikeouts, which is the, which is the fastest person to 200 strikeouts since, not since, the only person that's done it faster is Randy Johnson. 200 strikeouts in 136 innings, 205. His whip is a 1, and his ERA is a 303. And in the National League, it's it's max. I mean, you, you might be, you may try and convince me that it's Zach Granke, with a .95 whip, but it, it, it's Max. I mean, Max is ridiculous. Max Scherzer has not – he's 9-5, and five, and we know that wins aren't everything. 181 strikeouts against 23 walks, a .98 whip, and a 2.3 ERA. I don't – to me, it's, it's Max and Max and Max. Then you could talk to me about somebody else. I didn't hear a word you just said. I said you can bring you into the conversation. I think you, you said would I bring Rio? Would I would you you wouldn't bring Quinjin Rio? Rio. Oh, Dodgers. So Rio is eleven and two, with a point nine three RA and a one point seven six ERA. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's got a great ERA. He's got 112 strikeouts. Scherzer's got 181. Yeah, he may be in the discussion, but he's, he's not Max. Ma- 
Max has pitched more innings. He's given up just as many hits, 104 to 101. Yeah, he's given up a couple more runs. He's given up nine more walks. Oh, he's on, it's only six more innings. Excuse me. I thought it was more than that. The only thing that Max is, is he's given up six less runs, six, eight more runs, excuse me, eight more runs, but Max has seven, 69 more strikeouts in six more innings. Now, Ryu's in the discussion, but he's in the discussion with, for second place, along with Zach Greinke. No, he's, he's, not, he's not in the discussion for the Cy Young right now. Nope. This is the first time I think I've ever seen anyone with a winning percentage over 800 and ERA under two, and they're not even in, in, they're not in the discussion. That kind of cracks me yep. up a little bit. Um, well, I think that just shows you for, the dominance of Max Scherzer, right? I mean, yeah, to me, anyway. As for um, the starting pitch, as for, as for the American League, I agree with you on the team. I'm kind of going the other direction with the pitcher. Um, you like and Verlander. And to me, flip the coin between Cole, between Cole and Verlander. There is, realistically, there is absolutely no difference from a stat perspective. Cole has a few more strikeouts. Verlander has a has a war has a war of almost a point higher. The innings are the same, the hits are the same, the earned runs are exactly the same. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's six. I think those are the top two in the league, and you can you can you can just flip a coin. How would you like this, Seth? So you are twelve and four. You have a one point zero nine ERA, and granted, you're you're Sorry, 1.09 whip, an ERA of 3.5. You have 151 strikeouts and 127 innings, and you're not even the best pitcher on your staff. You're 12 and four with a whip of 1.09, and your name is Steven Strasburg. You're not even the best pitcher on your staff. <laughs> then, right below him, is Patrick Corbin who granted is seven and five when we've talked about how much wins don't really matter with a 1.16 whip. And he's the third best pitcher on his staff. If, and what's amazing if the is Nationals, oh, they've made a huge run. If the Nationals could have only any, if the Nationals could have any bullpen, they would be killing it. Killing it. I mean, I'm going to go. I wonder if there's, there's got to be this, right? Blown saves team. It's got to be the Nationals, right? The, the amount of blown saves has to be led by the Nationals. All right, here we go. We got blown saves. Wait, why is it not doing it the way I want? Sortable pitching. This can't be right. Oh, this is just versus the Mets. Hold on a second. Total blown <laughs> saves. Well, that's why I was like, how is that possible? National League blown saves. The Mets have the most at 21. Of course they do. And the Dodgers and Nationals <laughs> have 19. Of course the Mets have the most. Because why would the Mets 
have acquired supposedly the best closer in the Major League Baseball in the offseason and have the most blown saves. I mean, but that brings me to my least valuable player right there. My least valuable player for the National League is Robinson Cano. There you go. And my we, Lord. we completely agree on both. We agree on and both to give, on that one. And to give insult to injury, Keith Law came out with his top 50 prospects. And the first guy that was traded for Robinson Cano is number nine. Oh, is he really? Oh. We're going to. We're going to be look. Mets fans are just going to be watching this guy and watching this guy and watching him succeed, and just yeah, nothing. It is awful. But anyway, he is my least valuable player in the National League. Uh, my least valuable player in the American League. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Who you got? Chris Davis. But I, but I think it's also a little bit unfair to put someone on the Orioles as your least valuable player because, let's be honest, everyone on the Orioles I was Orioles say the whole team. is their least valuable player. Yeah, it's the, it's the whole team. Okay, so if I'm going to make a least valuable player in the American League, let me go through my head. Oh, I got it. The least valuable player in the American League is Matt Harvey. Hold on. Oh, that's right. That is correct. That, the that least is, valuable uh, player in the American League. And I, and I was going to leave this to the last five minutes, but, uh, but look, we might as well talk about it now. Has there been any player in your recent memory besides Robinson Cano that has taken such a precipitous drop? Like, I mean... Five years ago, Matt Harvey was the talk of baseball. I mean, the talk of baseball. The dark night rises. And I remember actually going into my boss's office while I was at IPC when he tore his elbow ligament and had to undergo Tommy John surgery and saying, hey, John, Harvey has to have Tommy John surgery. And we looked at each other and said, it was too good to be true. Because it's true. Every Met pitcher is going to get hurt at some point. So why not now? But he was released this year, this week from the, from the uh, California, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And his stats were just awful. I mean, awful. He was throwing, hold on, I'm going to get an $11 million contract. His one-year investment, Harvey's balloon, Harvey's ERA, was a 7.09. He gave up seven runs per nine innings. Seth, I think you and I could pitch better than that. Seven runs per nine innings for $11 million. In 2019, Harvey's fastball averaged averaged 93 miles an hour, a far cry from the 96 miles an hour he posted in his all-star season. So, yeah, I think Matt Harvey may be done. 
hard to believe that five days ago there was a discussion about him being traded to Colorado for Nolan Arenado. <laughs> yep. Um, it and, of been co- and of course, three, the, the trades the the trades the Mets don't make would have been smart, and the ones that they do make are stupid. All right, rookie of the year. Oh, it's Pete Alonso in the, oh, the National, in the National League. League. Yeah, congrats. I mean, that one's that one's not even a discussion. In the American League, there's no one that exciting at this point. I guess Brandon Lowe. Oh yeah, yeah, it's Brandon Lowe. But I mean, but the thing is, in the American League, there are so many people that could possibly have that honor by the end of the year. It just, that is true. I mean, if you're looking at guys that are contenders, Brandon Lowe, look, if Vladdy Guerrero Jr. has an amazing August and September, would you be surprised if he took it home? No. I mean, no. Michael Chavez has been up and down for the Red Sox. Eloy Jimenez for the White Sox has just uh, suffered a, I believe it was a, a, a shoulder injury, but he's been solid. But yeah, it's 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 up in the air. You you don't know where it's going. But that's where we are. So if you're picking today, your your super your Super Bowl, your World Series teams, who's making it? We're not going to go through the playoffs. We don't want uh, to do that. But who who who's in the World Series? Houston. And National League, I'm kind of torn. I, I don't think Atlanta's quite ready yet. And I, I mean, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Dodgers. But man, if Washington can make a run, they remind me kind of how the Capitals were, how the Bulls were almost this year, where they were doing nothing, doing nothing. They've underachieved for almost a decade in the playoffs. They get in, and they suddenly make a run because, as you said, they have their their staff can beat anyone in the series. Um, I, I'm going to go with the Dodgers just because they've been so good, but I would not be shocked if Washington could get in. And that's a big if if they would make the run based on the based on Scherzer and Strasburg staying healthy and Corbin between that with that trio, that's a dangerous, dangerous team. I agree with you and you know I beat the drum of the Nationals every year and again this year I picked them to win the World Series for like the twelfth straight year I picked this. Um it's kinda like you with the Capitals. I picked, <laughs> I picked the Nationals. Um they are eight games right now behind yeah, eight games? I believe there are seven or eight games behind the Braves. So they're set. The, they are better equipped to make a wild card run than any other team because they can throw yes. Scherzer in the first game and then in the wild card game and then deal with the ramifications of having Strasburg and Corbin in games one and two of the divisionals. So they are equipped for that. Um, their bullpen is not equipped for anything, as we just articulated. Look, 
I want the Nationals to make it just so I can be right for once. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, like I I'd like them to win it. Um, I'm going to pick the Dodgers just because the Dodgers have an easier path, a much easier path. I mean, they are 16 games ahead in their division. 16. In the American League, it's funny because do do I do I go with my brain or do I go with my heart? Because my heart and probably most Major League Baseball fans' hearts that live outside of Houston want the and outside of New York want the Twins to make the playoffs and win the playoffs, right? Because you want the small market team to win. The Twins cannot win without making a trade. They need a number one. They need a Mike Miner. They need a Madison Baumgartner. They need a Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard would be perfect there. And you know what? If I'm the Mets, I'm trading Syndergaard next week. And I'm getting their top prospect. Because Syndergaard has two more years of control. And the Mets aren't going anywhere. And you know what will happen next year? I'm going to walk into Seth's office and say, Syndergaard's undergoing Tommy John surgery. It was too good to be true. <laughs> like, I just have a feeling that's exactly what's going to happen. So I'm going to pick Minnesota and the Dodgers, which I believe is a repeat of the 1967? Uh, no, 60, it was a 65 series. 65 series? 67, okay, well, I was, I was close. Yeah, 60. Oh, 67 was the, 67. Um, was the Cardinals and Red Sox. Yes. And 66 yeah. is the, was Baltimore and the Dodgers. All right. So I was close. That was Tony, that was Tony Oliva. That was Tony Oliva batting like 340. And, but if you ask any true baseball friends, fan, I, I truly believe that he, he or she would root for the Twins. Because you always want the underdog. Okay, we got five minutes left. I assume you're going to talk a little bit about Manny Pacquiao. So I'm going to let you go for as long as you want to go. You got five minutes. Go. All right. So I figured we talked a little bit earlier about it. Manny Pacquiao turning back the proverbial hands of time looked brilliant Saturday night, uh, beating an undefeated 30 year old champion in Keith Thurman. Uh, consensus the decision. Uh, the sport was a little surprised, and he looked like he did, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago. I'm not quite sure what motivated him for this versus, you know, he had a two or three year span where he just, you know, he, he was just, you know, he just wasn't him. And it may have been time. The thought was it was time for him to retire. Um, and now he is in this extraordinarily interesting area because. There are monster fights out there for him. But the question is, as he's 40 years old, he is a nine-time champion, eight, 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 uh, eight, I guess, different weight class champion. He is the senator. He's a senator for the Philippines and is rumored to, to be running for presidency in a couple of years. Um, is this really what he wants to do? And if it does, and if somehow he can... My guess is he would be fighting an Errol Spence, which would be a disaster. Errol Spence is a top five pound for pound. It would crush him. He's just too big, too strong, and too young. Um, 
you know, the argument between Pacquiao versus uh, Floyd Mayweather, you know, has gone on forever. And, you know, Mayweather has the better record. But Mayweather, and Mayweather beat Pacquiao. Whether Pacquiao was injured, which I think most of us think he was, they still had to go out with the fight. Um, you know, he's neither here nor there. But what is amazing about Pacquiao is Pacquiao has fought everybody in their front. Um, from when he was 20 years old in his first title versus um, versus you know winning this last 20 years later winning winning this title you know over it is a well thought of champion Keith Thurman the people he has fought in their prime Barrera Morales you know the Juan Manuel Marquez Miguel Cotto Shane Mosley. All of these guys, these are not the guys that Mayweather fought in their prime or Mayweather fought at all. You know, De Hoya was past his prime. Nobody of our generation has fought the fighters that Pacquiao has. And to be doing this at age 40, you know, is just, is unthinkable. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what the decision is. I, I'm fascinated and scared to see what this, his decision will be going forward, where he's going to fight, who he's going to fight, where he's going to fight, how he's going to fight. Um, because to be, you know, we've had champions at this age, Bernard Hopkins, George Foreman, but they weren't aggressors. You know, George Foreman was a one-punch knockout of Michael Forrest, beaten to death for the first 10 rounds. Bernard Hopkins was, not, was never the aggressor. In the fights in his later years, in, in, in his mid forties, to see, you know, to see Pacquiao going forward, going forward, going forward, being this aggressive at this age, I've never seen it in boxing for someone in their in, at this at this time in their career. Um, and you know, if it's one fight left or three fights left, people, whether you like, you know, I always joke that there are sports I don't like, but I enjoy watching the best of, of the best of. You know, I'm not a golf, huge golf guy, but I'll watch the Masters. I'll, I'm not a huge NASCAR guy, but I'll watch part of the the, the Indy 500, Daytona 500. You know, that's how I feel about Pacquiao. His, his Mayweather was amazing, but Mayweather was technically brilliant, but not particularly enjoyable to watch as a casual fan. Watching Pacquiao jump in, jump out, jump in, jump, jump out, throwing punches from all sorts of angles, he's amazing to watch. Thank God is he fun to watch. Um, so I would advise, you know, for whatever fights he has left, you know, enjoy and appreciate the greatness of Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao, better or worse than Floyd Mayweather? And I'm not asking the Bate Isles. I'm asking you. I think if they fought in their primes and Pacquiao was healthy, I think Pacquiao would beat them. But they didn't, and so there's no way to know. There's honestly no way. Okay. It would have been. It just the, the fight. I don't. The fight. The, the way they fight is so different. It would have been. I can't even. I can't even make a make a guess. It would have won. All right. Fair enough. Next week we're going to talk about the rule changes to boxing. So if you really are interested in how boxing can be saved, Commissioner Seth Kamins is going to make changes to the boxing <laughs> arena. We'll also talk uh, at, uh, Major League Baseball trading deadline, which is next, I think it's next Wednesday, the 31st, and it's the only trading deadline of this year. 
So we'll get to that. Thank you very much for joining in. Happy birthday to Jake. For Seth Kamins, this is Sean Palmer, BackSportsPH.com, Blog Talk Radio, Seth and Sean Sports, and we'll talk to you next week. See you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.